Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is eh, nothing. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the other two bad. Both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for each episode. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam, uh, dead guy Thomas. I'm Thomas Mariani. Good morning. Good morning, yeah. I just rose up from my grave! Oh! That's why I call my bed. It's terrible, ladies and gentlemen. I can't sleep on it. Hey, yo, no respect. No, no respect. Uh, well, in case you couldn't tell, we're not doing Ronnie Dangerfield films. Uh, we are doing zombies, because this is He's the first... He's a dead guy, so... Well, yeah, I mean, at this point. Um, the, the zombie Rodney Dangerfield movie I would be down for. But uh, this is, uh, of course, the first of our episodes in October. And we should probably just say outright, uh, we won't reveal all the topics for this month, but safe to say, they're all horror-related. Because Adam and I, um, we're big horror fans. I think we would say yes. Oh, absolutely. In fact, we started our uh, online relationship via uh, the horror genre. Yes, many moons ago, when we were young babes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, so uh, the first one for October um, will be zombie films, because we're doing this around the time The Walking Dead is coming back, a show I haven't watched since, like, season six? I would say season three for me. Maybe four? Whatever <laughs> one The Governor was in was when I checked out. Well, there's a couple. I think he was in season well, three and four. I didn't so. even get to the one where he lost his eye. So okay, yeah. Then you that was you definitely three. season three. Yes, yeah. I I conked out after they're like, oh man, we're gonna kill somebody, and it's like I don't care. And then I heard it wasn't <laughs> like, oh, I don't care. Oh, they didn't do anything ballsy. Who gives a shit then? <laughs> oh yeah, welcome to something you should have done three seasons ago. <laughs> <laughs> right. Probably. And I don't know much people who like watch The Walking Dead anymore. Everyone I know, even my sister, who's not a horror fan, loved The Walking Dead. And mm. I literally asked her, just like, hey, how's The Walking Dead at this point? She's like, I don't know. We just stopped watching consistently. There's got to be people, though, man. There's got to be, because it still pulls at decent numbers. I mean, not as big as it was in its heyday, but it's still pulling in numbers. Oh, and you know AMC's still going to milk the fuck out of that team. But I don't care. I don't care about that show. I don't care about Norman Reedus. I mean, but but you do care about zombies in general, of course. One hundred percent. Oh, I mean, one hundred percent. I love zombies, dude. I, I, in fact, you know, not to bring up a sad note, but when uh, Romero passed, I had had the opportunity to meet him like three months prior to convention, and I couldn't go. And when he mm-hmm. passed, I was so bummed out because I mean, dude, I love. The Romero movies. And the reason is because when I was a kid, my mom always said Night of the Living Dead was the scariest movie she'd ever seen. Like, it scarred her. She could never watch. Like, in fact, she won't watch horror movies, period, because of Night of the Living Dead. Um, so it always had that thing, oh my god, I gotta see it, I gotta see it. And uh, 
I just I fell in love with those movies, man. Even the later ones, which are terrible, I still like. Um, well, Adam, I believe those are not zombies; those are ghouls, and virtually <laughs> never call them zombies. Yeah. <laughs> we should just get to fucking picking the goddamn movies. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, um, with every episode, Adam and I come to the table with two movies that the other isn't aware of. Um, only that they're vaguely about the topic of zombies in this case. Um, and each of us pick a number between 1 and 10 uh, for the other's picks, and that other person has assigned them each to a number between 1 and 10, and whichever the other person doing the picking gets closest to will be the both good and bad feature. We trade off on good and bad quality. Adam's got the good, I've got the bad. So uh, we'll start off with the good news. I will pick a number between 1 and 10, Adam, and my number will be... Five. Okay. At number three, I have Pontypool. You know, I have always heard about Pontypool, never seen it. Oh, really? It's a good. I'm glad. It's a good movie. <laughs> fucking good. That's, yeah. Fucking goddamn right you picked that one. Um, what, what was the other choice, Adam? At number nine, I had Paranorman. Oh, yeah. I was popping my peas. Popping my peas. Great for the podcast. Yeah. Put out a survey. What do most people like about podcasts? Popping peas. So you got me on that one. Yep. Um, well, now, Adam, I got you in a different sense. Now you got to pick uh, a number between one and ten for my bad choices. Uh, I will go with number six. You know, Adam, uh, I think we're going to put your above-mentioned words to the test for this time because... Uh, at number eight, I had Mr. George A. Romero's Diary of the Dead. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God. You still like it? You still like it, motherfucker? I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was... Oh, uh, fuck. <laughs> You're so defeated. It's so great. Well, I purposely didn't pick Romero, and sure as shit, I get a Romero movie. <laughs> yeah, the bad one. <laughs> Maybe yeah. the worst one. Uh, uh... I, we'll, we'll put that to the test. Um, but at number three, I had World War Z. Which is pretty bad. Um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we got Diary over World War Z. There's a lot more to talk about with Diary. <laughs> Yeah, World yeah, World War Z is just a bore fest. Though I am still, if it ever happens, I'm still not convinced it will. But God the, help the me. Fincher if Fincher one? If Fincher fucking actually does that sequel, I'm so deadly curious to see what the fuck he does. That's the craziest idea to me. Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, it's never going to happen, dude. I highly doubt it's, that's going to come to fruition. If it does, then, I mean, I'll see it when it comes on Netflix, because I'm not going to the show to see it. I'll tell you that right now. Enough of us uh, dragging our legs across this episode. Uh, we, we've got a double feature to watch, Adam, and we'll be right back shambling to our mics right after this. <sighs> Shit. Fucking wake up. What you are hearing is an actual radio broadcast. It is the only recording of the event. Oh, God! These people are trying to eat their way inside. Ken? Their eyes. He's looking at me. Please avoid contact with family members. For greater safety, 
Do not translate this message. Not translate. Just listen to me. And we are back. Uh, we have just seen our double feature, and we have a guest who has joined us, uh, ri- rising from his own crypt to join in the zombie festivities. It is uh, Lance Langford from the Horror Returns podcast. Lance, how are you? All right. Doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. So, Lance, uh, obviously you're from the Horror Returns podcast. You're a fan of horror in general. Would you say the zombie subgenre is one of your favorites? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Especially the early stuff. Um, Some of it's gone a little off the rail, but I guess we'll get into that later. Yeah, I've I've been a fan of the zombie genre since uh, Night of the Living Dead and and forward. Of course, yeah, we should probably mention that, like, zombie, as we traditionally know it, was pretty much invented by Night of the Living Dead. Earlier versions had, like, voodoo zombies, something like I Walk with a Zombie with Bale Lugosi had that version of it, but the ghouls that Romero created are basically what most people will have done as zombies for the last 50 years now. Yes, although The Serpent and the Rainbow is actually, uh, I think, a very underrated movie that's actually one of my early favorites. I, I will concur with that, and that's more of the voodoo zombie as well. Um, I agree, and also to harken back to our last episode, one of Wes Craven's better movies... Yes. Agreed. For sure. Um, but we're not talking about that movie. We are talking about our good feature this evening is one of the choices that Adam had, and that is Pontypool, which is a Canadian film, which uh, had some film festival screenings in 2008, but came out in most parts in, uh, on March 6, 2009. It's directed by Bruce McDonald and uh, written by Tony Burgess, who wrote the book Pontypool Changes Everything that this is based on. And I had heard about this movie but I'd never seen it until this uh, particular chance. Um, Adam, you obviously had this choice. Uh, you've seen this before? Uh, yeah, I saw it actually in 2009. It was one that was on my radar, so as soon as I was able to get to see it, I did. They, there's a um, little art theater in a town near here that'll play you know, independent movies of all types, and uh, this was one that they played, so I was actually able to see this in the theater. I really liked it then. I like it now too, but I just it's there's certain scenes in it that just always stuck with me. So, and that was the first and last time I seen it until today. Well, yes, and of course this is um, a different take on the zombie genre in terms of they are basically zombies and never say the Z word to quote John of the Dead. Um, but the way that the infection spreads <laughs> is a bit different here because it spreads through language, which is such a novel idea I never thought of, but. In practice, I would argue, it's pretty spellbinding to watch. Uh, Lance, this is your first time seeing it, and would you agree with those sentiments? It's uh, Yeah, it's my first time to see it. It's one of those that I kept hearing about over and over and over again through different uh, friends that have seen it, different podcasts that have talked about it. Um, it's got quite the cult following, man, but I've just never sat down and took the time. Uh, so I'm glad you guys uh, picked this one, because it was always on my radar. Yeah, I had a similar thing, too, where I've heard about it for now nearly a decade, and I just never mm-hmm. got the chance to watch it. And for those who don't know, um, it's the story of a bunch of Canadian broadcasters inside of a radio station uh, during a huge blizzard that's going on, and there's some sort of weird thing that's traveling through people. We see a brief amount of it outside, but it mostly takes place inside the radio station, uh, where we mainly follow Grant Mazzy, played by Stephen McCady, who is sort of a radio shock jock type and his producer and sound engineer that are also in there, and things are going on outside, and we mostly hear about it through um, their 
high in the sky guy uh ken um as well <laughs> um as well as uh some some other people who come in there's a doctor that comes in at one point but it's interesting because it feels definitely like this was obviously originally a book and also it was adapted into a radio play and you'd think with the concept it wouldn't be that visually engaging but it surprisingly really manages to be. It feels almost like a John Carpenter siege movie, like I saw in Precinct Thirteen. Yeah, I was. Uh, I I really got that radio play vibe from it. I used to listen to a lot of the old uh, uh, hour long horror radio shows uh, back in the day when I was like a really really little kid. Um, before I was really even in the movies or reading, I had my radio on and listened to those, and it, and it reminded me of that. And it also kind of harkened back to the uh, I guess the Orson Welles. Uh, Obviously, the War of the Worlds scenario. Right, yes, the, the infamous radio play that people allegedly assumed was real. There's been varying reports on that. Still, would you agree it works visually as a film, despite sort of the more auditory focus? For the amount of money that I've heard that they spent on this movie, I mean, I, I think they squeezed every, you know, every bit of value out of every penny on it. Um Especially effective to me was the scene where um, I, I don't know how how spoilery you guys want to get, but uh, uh, we'll probably spoil the, the fuck out of it. But we definitely encourage okay, anybody to enough. see it, even though it's <laughs> yeah. a very limited small movie. Go and seek it out if you can. It's not hard. It's not hard to find. Let's just put it that way. Right. One scene where the uh, uh, I, I don't know if she was an engineer or what her part was is when she started being affected and she was slamming herself into the glass partition. Over and over again, that was particularly haunting. Yes, uh, Laurel, uh, the Georgina Riley character. Um, but let's focus a bit more on Stephen McCady, who is our main lead of the film, who is a character actor you might have seen in other things, um, like he was in Watchmen, he was in a uh, previous Double Edge Devil Bill feature, Theodore Rex. Uh, no way! <laughs> Are you yeah. serious? Yes, yeah. he was the main henchman of Theodore Rex. Can't hold uh, that against him. <laughs> with, with 300. Right, yeah. Oh, shit. Yes. Yeah, he's the the guy without the arm, the one who keeps advising her. The oh, queen. my God. Uh, somebody told me recently that he popped up in uh, my my favorite movie of last year, uh, Mother. Yes, he was the preacher dude That's in Mother. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's been around, huh? Yeah, uh, but this is one of his few leading roles, and it's an amazing performance from him, because it's very much this dude who, when you come into the movie, he's obviously shock jock, gets a lot of stuff fed into his ear, and sort of spouts it out in a confrontational way, so he is kind of an asshole, but at the same time, he's a really engaging main character to have. Would you agree, Adam, with that? Oh, absolutely, man. You can't take your eyes off him. And they know it, too, and they know how well he's doing. I mean, there are just infinite amounts of tight close-ups just on his face. Especially the scene where he's talking to, you know, Ken, the sunshine chopper guy. You know, he's trying to get close to the one guy to get his to hear what he's whispering and everything. And I mean, and they just slow zoom right on his face to literally, it's his eyes, nose, and mouth, and basically. And the rest of the screen is just covered by him. And, uh, I mean, dude, he's so good in this. He emotes so well, and he does have a voice for radio. He's so believable and just good, where you can tell, you know, he might be washed up. He wants to be in a, maybe a bigger territory. I'm surprised he, he didn't pop up more in lead roles after this. Yeah, have you uh, you guys heard anything about what, what this movie costs to make? 32 grand. That's what I heard. I'm like, what the fuck? Did he just come in and work for free because he liked <laughs> the script that much? Or He probably loved the book, huh? I'm guessing they're working on scale at the very least. I- 
Uh, but you can tell that, like, they believe in the project, very well. especially, of course, he's also working against, along with Georgina Riley, uh, Lisa Howell, uh, who is actually his real-life wife. No shit! Yes, so they have, uh, chemistry, but what I like is it is much more of, like, these two people have worked together for a while, they're kind of tired of each other's shit, but at the same time, you can sense there is that kind of under Sam and Diane, like, are they gonna get together, or are they not? At the same time, it's kind of building at a certain point, especially near the mm-hmm. ending of the movie. I would agree. I really, I really love the way that they uh, they really push that theater of the mind uh, concept a lot. Like when they they kind of um, pull the curtain back and explain to you that 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 uh, eye in the sky helicopter was really just him driving around in his old battered up car. <laughs> I thought it was just really cool the way that they the way that they did that. Yeah, they they really pull back the curtain and show you all of the ins and outs of this dinky radio production that they're putting on. Um, it, it really endears you more to the characters. Yeah, they kind of kind of like uh, our podcast, right? You know, Lim- limited budget. We gotta we gotta pretend <laughs> no like uh, we got a guy up there in a helicopter watching out for us or something, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. for sure. Let's go to our correspondent, Adam in the sky, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've crashed. <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad. I, I don't know why you guys put me in this helicopter. Adam, <laughs> what do you see down there, Adam? You gotta tell uh, us, man. Uh, What's going on? Uh, it's fire. Lots of fire. <laughs> and, uh, stumps where my legs used to be. Yeah, we, we really need to talk about the, the scene where Ken basically unravels this whole thing that's going on. It's a great example of, obviously in movies you want to do show, don't tell. The general rule of, like, you don't want to tell us what's going on, you want to show us. But this is a movie that really tests that theory and does a lot by telling, really because it's just doing a theater of the mind kind of thing where you can't see what's going on. So it is just, like, unveiling it to you in that radio drama way, yeah. Especially getting close to the kid who apparently has, like, snuck in and has stubs on his arms and then he just gets Mm -hmm. over to him and he makes that weird, creepy baby voice. Oh, it's so creepy, dude. (laughs) You know, it's funny to go back to how Stephen McCaddy and Lisa Houle are are actually married. There's a point in the movie to where when when he's trying to walk away or whatever, and uh, she's stopping him, and and he says a line. I'm paraphrasing, but it's almost like, is this because of me? Are you doing this because of me? I almost got the idea that maybe they did at one point have a fling. I can see that. Uh, they didn't kind of imply that with uh, their interactions, but they don't outright say it. It's a great example of the sort of show-don't-tell thing where you get those characters interacting. It feels like they've had a history. It feels like there's, they've done a lot together. And even from the moment that, obviously, they are introduced in the film and it's just, like, going through the motions, doing their usual thing, waking up early, going on the radio, doing stuff like... <laughs> what? The, can we talk about what the fuck was, like, the music group that came in? I'm I'm still oh, not quite Lawrence sure of what Arabia or yeah like right. a modern Lawrence of Arabia yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure why everyone's in brown face even either oh that. I know <laughs> the one guy's the one guy does like the stereotypical Israeli or Arab scream at the end and fires off his gun oh wow mm-hmm. oh it was so racist <laughs> it, it it does help that we have Stephen McKinney the whole time just on his phone like you hear that you hear it mm-hmm. fuck you dude fuck you dude you're making <laughs> me do this. <laughs> I guess it was all taking place during a, a blizzard. Did they ever refer to whether it was like, you know, near like uh, Christmas time or any holiday or anything like that? I mean, they say it's winter, and obviously it's Canada, so it's they, gonna be um, it's, it's Valentine's Day. Oh, that's right! It is Valentine's Day. Which is 
Oh, with her daughter. She says, it's not your birthday, it's Valentine's Day. Right, right. That's another great scene, where she just basically just hears over the phone her kids being infected. Um, Really great showcase for her, especially, as an actress. It's not not depressing at all. No. (laughs) This is feel-good zombie movie of the year. (laughs) Feel-good movie of the year for me. Not the least bit fucked up. No. <laughs> we, you know, let's talk a bit more about how the infection. We mentioned that sort of it's spread by language. Basically, people um, are introduced to a word, usually a term of endearment, as they say. And there are, to quote the director here I'm reading, uh, he said, There are three stages to the virus. The first stage is you begin to repeat a word. Something gets stuck, and usually it's a word that's a term of endearment, like sweetheart or honey. The second stage is your language becomes scrambled and you can't express yourself properly. The third stage is that you become so distraught at your condition that the only way out of the situation you feel, as an infected person, is to try and chew your way through the mouth of another person. Which, yeah, I mean... (laughs) <laughs> it's a fucked up way of describing it, and I think that comes through in the movie, because it's definitely a bit weird and confusing at the beginning of it, but as things go along, it's such a cool way of spreading the zombie virus in a way that isn't, we're biting each other, we're dying and then coming back, it's just this thing of, like, it's attacking us at something that, you know, you figure would be, like, an escape, something that you can do during a zombie apocalypse is talk to each other, but wait, you can't. Because if you say the wrong word, you get fucking infected. Right, and I do like that they throw in there the, if they don't find another victim to spread the words, then they literally just die. Because that's what happens to their, their whatever she is, their tech. She doesn't find anybody to spread the virus to, even through language. So she eventually just vomits up her innards and dies. Jesus Christ, just starts destroying (laughs) herself, huh? Yeah, it was pretty (laughs) intense. But, um... Yeah, that you know, if I did have any problem with the movie, it's that I do like the idea of language spreading this virus out of nowhere, but there is little to no explanation as to even how it might have started, which when you really, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it had to have started somewhere. Did it have something to do with Dr. Mendez? Like, was it something that was going on, like he was maybe doing experiments with uh, drugs and using different types of language or something like that? I kind of got the feeling that that might have been the case. Well, here's a thought. Um, Wouldn't it be just really lame if they actually explained that? (laughs) Kind of, but at the same time, you could see, because I I have, you know, talked to other people who've seen this movie and stuff, and they find it almost kind of laughable, too. So it can go one of two ways, Mm -hmm. to where, with no explanation, like, well, that's fucking silly, just through words. Or it's like, holy shit, you know, just to think of that, you know, something you're saying now could turn anyone to a ravenous killer. I almost sort of interpret it as, it's like, um, oh god, what's that thing called? The splinter cell? Right, it's the thing where, like, you say a trigger word and somebody just, like, enacts, like, what you want them like, to do. Like a Manchurian uh, candidate type Like a Manchurian <laughs> Kind of, honestly. That, that's what I, I, I kind of like about the idea, is it, it's almost as if something we didn't quite discover until, because language has developed so much over the course of so long, especially the English language has developed as such a completely different thing than when, obviously, we started you know, centuries and centuries ago with the English language, that I like the idea that language can evolve to a point where it almost becomes, like, sentient and starts destroying people. I love that as a concept. It might not be the most real-world grounded idea, but I think it works just as a way of, you know, just representing how we as a culture have developed for so long that eventually our own words come back to bite us. Hmm. That's interesting. Wow, I I hadn't even really given it that much thought. 
That's uh, that's pretty deep there, Thomas. <laughs> Communications major talking. Um, but what about uh, Lance? Well, how do you feel about this method of becoming the zombies in this film? Uh, I, th- I think it's I think it's definitely very original, you know. And then the fact that it's uh, that that what what starts it is terms of endearment of all things, you know. Like you guys are saying, what you would think would be the safest words of all to say, you know, the most comforting uh, is, is is what actually uh, puts you in the most danger. I, I've never seen any. I mean, obviously, there's shitloads of outbreak movies, and some of them you could say, yeah, well, that yeah, that's definitely the the zombie motif. And some of them you would say, ah, that's nothing like zombies. That's not a zombie movie. That's just an infection movie. But uh, yeah, totally different type of outbreak. I. I'll tell you this, I'm definitely interested enough to read the book now. Um, I'm definitely uh, definitely curious to to see how much more detail he went into and I'm and I'm really curious how much Burgess changed the uh, storyline from the book to the to the film because it's not a really long movie. Was it only like an hour and a half or something like that? Roughly, yeah. And I don't know how long the book is, but uh, you know, it's I I'm curious. I I'm actually I'm actually going to uh, purchase the book and read it now. I mean, Shit, maybe it was a good advertisement for the book, if nothing else, you know? I love Dr. Mendez as played by Heron Alenik, I believe is... <laughs> I, I apologize if I mispronounced that. But the way that he's just so, like, third-party fascinated by what's going on, and how right. he just kind of, like, narrates this whole... Me- like, seeing this method going on. He treats it like a science experiment where these people are, like, losing oh, a yeah. friend. I just love Absolutely. how much he does not give a shit. It's so hilarious to me. <laughs> it's all work to him. Very clinical. <laughs> yeah, I knew they had talked about maybe putting out a part two and part three of the movies as well. I'm kind of glad this is just a one-off, to be honest. It would almost be like beating the idea to death, and mm. I prefer it just as a one-off film. I don't want to see two more movies with the same idea. Like, what are you, you going to see? Either A, it's going to be Mazzy and her somehow survived, and now they're on the run, or it's going to be a whole other set of characters, and it's just going to be the same thing again. Even though it was planned, I'm glad we didn't get it. I mean, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of, like, the post credit scene, where they kind of unveil how they're doing after that, um, the whole thing where they're in the bar, and talking to each other, and it's black and white and all that stuff. I'm, I wasn't the hugest fan of that for a lot of reasons. It feels like, one, they're kind of trying to do the style of the thing they did earlier, where he's reading off the mm-hmm. names, and it was all the black and white stuff. So it feels like it's weirdly stylistically betraying itself. And also it feels almost more like this is a bit from a like a Kill Bill movie as opposed to like this small intimate character horror movie that I just don't I, I don't want to see more of that necessarily. I think I agree with Adam that like contained in this one story inside this one small space in the radio station, I think this is a, a great little unique zombie film that stands perfectly fine on its own. Yeah, to me that post credit scene looked like a screen test or something. That was like bizarre. It just did not you're you're absolutely right. It it did not fit in with the the pace of of the film at all. Well, apparently that was like directly after sort of the scene with the bombs going off, but people found it confusing so they just put it as a tag. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of mm-hmm. prefer that. It's one of those rare post credit scenes where like don't stick around for it. There's there's no right. Thor hammer here. You don't need to stick stick around. <laughs> For this post credit scene, <laughs> I want to go back to some of the stuff they do with like the language, and especially I I love how the sort of defeatist attitude they try and do later on, where they have this weird, almost like Lewis Carroll style thing, where they're like, "Let's make language not make sense, so that we can like survive and get people to have this idea of what language can be in order to survive." Like, uh, black is white, blue is yellow, all this other shit that they just mm-hmm. unravel. It's a great desperate attempt that they have to just try and like 
make some of this make sense, make some way of us to, like, keep on going, even if it's through, like, not really understanding each other at all. I, I just love that it's, like, it's literally, we need to survive by not comprehending anything. Yeah, wow, that that was a trip. That was probably the craziest part of the movie. That was, yeah, the, you, you mentioned Lewis Carroll, kind of like a jab, Jabberwocky-type feeling. I think that, that part hit me the hardest when they started doing that. I'm like, well, fuck, what's going to happen now? You know, without being able to communicate, society's going to break down one way or the other. You know, it's either going to break down by using these foreboding words that are going to, you know, turn you into a ravenous zombie, or it's going to break down like the Tower of Babel where nobody knows how to communicate with each other anymore. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is helped by the fact that everything's crumbling at that point, which shout out to the sound design team, who also did an amazing job of making every sound count. Absolutely. I just love the idea that even though, you know, he has no idea how he did it, he has no idea what he's doing, he's got the basic ideas that by quickly changing the definition of some of these words in your own mind can, you know, either bring you back or stop it, and he says, to hell with it, and goes on the radio. <laughs> fuck now, it. Now, <laughs> fuck it, we gotta try. And the thing is, he's, so he's just spouting off all these words, has no idea which one of these words could be a trigger. No idea. Mm-hmm. What if the one of the words that he changes it to is the trigger? You know what I mean? It's just, I love that. Just balls to the wall. Got to go for it, you know? And like Thomas says, when everything's even just crumbling and crashing and exploding around him, and he's still just screaming into the microphone. And I love how they lead to that in terms of he says that whole thing. But like, there was a point where a word would just get stuck in my head as a kid, and I would just say it over and over again until it didn't make any sense. That's a very relatable oh. thing. I remember yeah, sure. doing that all the time as a child, just repeating a word at nauseum, and then at a certain point, it's like, what does this even mean anymore? It's a, it's a weird way that we, as humans, actually drive ourselves mad at a young age, is just to literally make a word not make sense by repeating it constantly. Yeah, that's a pretty cool callback, man. I think every, everybody did that as a kid, right? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I was fucking normal losers. I didn't do that yeah. shit. <laughs> I was busy doing, doing marijuanas. Are you guys familiar at all with the band King Crimson? Uh, I've heard the name. I don't know if it's about as familiar with the music or not, but I I'm aware. Yeah, they're making a little bit of a comeback. They were they were a pretty big progressive rock band in the '70s, but they did a lot of playing with words like that. Like, uh, there's one song where he just goes, "I repeat myself when under stress. I repeat myself when under stress. I repeat my," and he just says it over and over again until it's kind of nonsense. And then they have a song called Animal Talk, where it just starts out. He starts out saying all these words that start with A that have no correlation to each other, and then these B words. And then by the time he gets uh, like four or five letters into the alphabet, he just kind of forgets what he's saying. It's I don't know. I kind of get that that feeling um, of of some of that early King Crimson stuff. Well, especially with my favorite in this movie, which is Sidney Breyer is alive. Sidney Breyer, <laughs> Breyer is alive. Is alive. <laughs> that, I, I know, just how the way he said it, how even just sinister sounding he even said it, it just came across. Yeah, no, I, uh, dude, uh, can we just again address it? How good his voice is. Oh, yeah, oh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, it's... I would listen to the Stephen McKady podcast. I would definitely. Yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> It'd be amazing. What if it's just him telling dick and fart jokes? <laughs> <laughs> he could have, like, a uh, the Tobolowsky files that Stephen Tobolowsky does. I would like that with him. Just him talking about working on, like, the. Can we imagine, Adam, the stories he could tell about Theodore Rex? How many great oh, stories oh. he could tell in that voice? <laughs> yeah, man. That and early Seinfelds and everything else. Mm-hmm. So he was on that show quite a bit, oh, he too. He was. Yeah. 
Wow, this guy gets around. Before we close that, I wanted to ask Lance as the horror person, are there any other big horror moments we might not have mentioned? You know what? Quite frankly, a lot of the horror in this movie was more in what you didn't see, and I and I thought it was really cool. Like, you know, I was talking about when we found out that the uh, the eye in the sky was really just driving a battered car around. Mm-hmm. It's like I could visualize that so well when they when they described that, and then yeah. just thinking about as he was describing what he was seeing going on with the fires and everything, it was just. Uh, you know, your mind plays tricks on you, and that's what I love about, you know, podcasts, and that's what I love about radio drama. You know, you, you can kind of fill in the, the blanks there, and sometimes that's a lot more scary than taking a bunch of fucking CGI uh, and, throw you know, throwing it at you. You know, one one little CGI monster and fire and all this crap right after the, oh, we're not into the next movie yet, hold on. Um, but yeah, no, I think a lot of, of what they don't show you scares the fuck out of you a lot more than what they do sometimes. I mean, I, I agree, and also just, like, with the power of sort of that descriptive stuff, I gotta say, the moment, it's weird, in this horror movie, the only moment that literally made me pause in this whole movie is after Ken dies, and uh, Stephen McCaddy just says to Lisa Blout, uh, just like, oh, um, he was a friend of yours, right? And he's like, Ken was a pedophile, and I'm like, that was <laughs> fucking crazy. <laughs> that was so crazy. I literally had oh. to pause, like, whoa, wait, we're doing this right. now, what? Oh, yeah, they went for it. Uh, yeah, no, that whole a... scene, man, that whole scene where he's talking to Ken, and then all of a sudden Ken starts to repeat himself mm-hmm. and everything, and he's like, oh, you know, goodbye, Ken, if you can still hear me, and hangs up, and then when it goes into that, you know, you're like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, he might not have been. We just knew not to let our kids around him. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally like the way you said, just like, oh, God. (laughs) Like, you're relieved, and then, oh. (laughs) (laughs) I've known him for 17 years. That's a, God, that was the worst a bit I could have ever done. Jesus Christ! Like, it was obituary for him. You're like, holy fucking hell! <laughs> when it when it when it comes to pedophilia rumors, where there's smoke, there's probably usually fire, right? So uh, uh, fi- fire and people <laughs> coming out of the building. Because <laughs> uh, that's the thing is like we're endeared to Ken because he's just like this guy who we only hear the voice of, but he's in the middle sure. of the chaos. He's unveiling all this to us. We're kind of subconsciously like, I don't even know Ken that well, but Ken, get the fuck out of there! And then it's like, well. I guess Ken's gone and said, Wait, he was a pedophile? <laughs> I know. Fuck Good riddance. <laughs> Fuck him. Oh, it, it, it's a great example of how this movie just, like, sets you up and then just knocks you down hard. In I the best way. I bit him in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. On that note, uh, let's go into our final thoughts. Uh, Lance, as our guest, uh, what were your final thoughts on Pontypool? Ah, it's super original, man. I'm glad I finally uh, saw it. You know, I always like a new twist on the on the zombie mythos, and uh, yeah, man, this one delivered. Adam, yeah, I, I just you know I appreciate it, especially because it's something new. It's it's it hasn't been done before, and it hasn't been done since. And it's just you know, especially the performances. I mean, this movie is just full of great performances, and in an era, especially around this time, when it's just zombie movie after zombie movie after zombie movie mm-hmm. for something fresh and original to come out in the midst of all that just shit that it's just that alone, you know, and holds a special place for me, especially seeing it on the big screen. And I think this is one that needs to be discovered by more people. Well, yeah, especially cause this feels like it came out in 2009, um, in terms of wider release. And that was just right before the zombie boom happened really with like when walking dead, 
premiered in like 2010, that's when we had like our big boom back of zombies and everyone was like doing their zombies all over again. Obviously, people have been consistently doing zombie movies, but in terms of bigger mainstream success, that was like the moment it started right back up with Walking Dead coming back onto the screens. And I, I almost wish this movie had come out just a couple of years later so we could have gotten a bit more of that push and rode that wave a bit. Because mm. I. I agree that I think it is um, one of the more unique zombie movies out there. It's got a great cast. It makes a lot with a small budget. And like I said, it presents a completely different way for the zombie uh, infection to take place, which may not make a lot of real-world sense, but I think is an interesting metaphor for just how we use language as a people, which obviously zombie movies are about. Sort of everything breaks down amongst humanity. Um, We're going to talk about somebody in a second who did that a lot in his movies. Um, but yeah, I think this is a great way of showcasing that. And like we said, even though we spoiled the movie pretty much, um, if you have not seen it, we definitely recommend seek it out and, uh, maybe also seek out the book, which most of us are inclined to do at this point. But, um, as I mentioned, uh, there's another director who kind of started this ball rolling back in 1968. That man is George A. Romero, and he... Uh, continued that uh, several years afterward, including with uh, this fifth out of the six Night of the Living Dead series of movies, Diary of the Dead. Jason always wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. Come on, everybody, when it comes to you, say your name. This is ridiculous. Hey, I'm just trying to make a movie here. That's what he was shooting on that first night. The night when everything changed. None of us know exactly what has caused the chaos. Most people have fled for their lives. Some sort of Armageddon. Two news agencies are reporting accounts of the dead returning to life. Are you still shooting? What are you shooting? I don't know. I just... If this turns out to be a big thing, I just want to record it, okay? George A. Romero's Diary of the Dead. If it's not on camera, it's like it never happened, right? (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, God. So, um, George E. Romero, obviously, we mentioned Night of the Living Dead 68, um, breaks open the zombie genre, makes a name out of him. Um, He does a few smaller movies than he does Dawn of the Dead in 78. Then he does a few other movies like Creepshow, and then he does Day of the Dead in 85. Then does a few more movies and takes a pretty big break in the 90s until Land of the Dead in 2005, coming back to the series that made him. And those had a continuous sort of story going on, development of the world, even if like some of the characters didn't you know, continue um, that much. But then he kind of reboots it in 2008 with uh, Diary of the Dead. Specifically, uh, it came out in wide release on uh, February 22nd. 2008, and, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, let's just fucking say, it's fucking horrible. This movie is horrible. If it was not for Bruiser, this would be his worst movie. Oh, man, okay, yeah, but to me, this takes the edge because it's so much more disappointing. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I'll still say, at least it has more of a plot than like Bruiser does. I, I still have no idea what the fuck Bruiser's even about. But um, um just before, Jason thing in a mask. It's about it. Before we maybe dig too deep, like Adam, why don't you talk about what's your history with Romero and especially his dead series of films? Growing up, my mom used to always tell me that the scariest movie she ever saw was the original Night of the Living Dead. 
Um, it scared her to death to the fact that she can't watch horror movies, period. Unfortunately, the first copy I saw was that really bad like re-release where they interjected a bunch of scenes into it. The one where John A. Russo was like, I, no, there's no copyright in this, so I'll just put my own scenes in so I can make money off this. And it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. priest in there with the dog. Oh, so bad. Uh, and I mean, I remember watching that and going, what the fuck? Why? You know, this is not at all what I expected. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then I caught the uh, – actually, no, no, I take that back. That was the first time I saw the original. I saw the 90 remake first. Okay. Ah, okay. Which I fucking still love. I think it's one of the greatest horror movie remakes and one of the best zombie movies ever done. And then I caught Dawn and the Dawn remake, obviously. But I saw Day of the Dead in segments over – you know, years because it would be on TBS during Halloween time or TNT and things like that. That just made me fall in love with George Romero. So I've, I've just taken everything he's done and watched everything George Romero has put out. <laughs> uh, George Romero has made, uh, I'd say, four good movies. Are I'll, you, I'll, I'll I, say more than that. But, I will. Uh, I will agree with that. Know. Yeah, more than that. <laughs> I mean, Creep Show, Night, Dawn, Day. Oh, yeah, and I'd say Land for so it's fun. Um, I'd also say I, Martin. I'd put Vampire, oh, the Martin, oh, the Martin, Vampire Martin. movie in there. Yeah. You, got, you guys didn't like ah, the Dark Half. I forgot Martin. Dark Half is so silly. It's it's oh, not that great on, a movie. Dude. I guess it's where I was at that time in my life. I'll I'll give Monkey Shines as an entertainingly bad movie. Monkey Shines Monkey is hysterical. It's so fun to watch though. Anyway, so I saw Land of the Dead at the show. I liked it for what it was. I mean Dennis Hopper's real fun in it. Mm-hmm. And then this comes coming out and I'm like Wait a second, this is taking place at the same time Night took place? Oh, that's kind of a cool idea where he's just going to do this other, you know, part of it that we didn't see from the original. Okay, I'm kind of cool with that. It's found footage. Oh, okay, I can go with that. (laughs) It has a score. What the fuck? (laughs) To quote the narrator directly, I've added music to try and scare you. (laughs) Fuck off. It's so stupid. All right, well, wait. So well, if you went back and rewatched the footage of your friends being eaten and butchered, it's like, gotta add in some music. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Who are you selling this to? Oh, there's there's a lot to talk about with that. But first, uh, Lance, uh, what about you? What about your a, bit, a brief history of you with the the Romero and his dead movies? Oh yeah, I mean, like I say, I'm I'm you know I'm a big Romero fan. Maybe a little, maybe a little more than you guys, because there were a couple of movies that you guys mentioned and 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 shit on that I, that I really enjoyed. So uh, I don't know. I, it's and, and yeah, Martin was a masterpiece. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, his early stuff, Night Night of the Living Dead, absolute masterpiece. And dare I say, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say better special effects than this movie. What? Um, Never. I, yeah. I don't think that's going on on a limb at all. <laughs> but yeah, no, for me, definitely Dawn of the Dead. That that one said so much about consumerism and uh, just fucking getting stuck in the rut of our our modern life. That movie made a real statement to me. And then Day of the Dead, 
Didn't like it as much when it first came on, but um, after a couple of rewatches, I get a lot more out of that. So, um, and then came Land of the Dead, and he he went off the rails. I'm not convinced. Do you guys really think he directed this film, Diary of the Dead? Um, I feel like he did. If nothing else, because there are certain Romero isms that I'm not the hugest fan of that are blatantly here. Um, if anything mm-hmm. else, it definitely feels like a George Romero written movie. The direction is maybe a bit questionable. It's but like that's also such a huge problem for me with found footage in general. When you have like a more seasoned director doing it, because usually in that case they kind of try and make it like, oh, we're gonna do found footage, but it's gonna be clear and you can visually see it. Like Romero's talked about. He wanted to do this because he's like, you know, I saw Blair Witch do and it was so, like, hard to see in certain things. I, I, I couldn't Well, just... that's the fucking point! Ex- exactly, that's the point. Because it, it feels authentic as opposed to this feels so staged and it feels... So, dis- so disingenuous, man. Like most yeah. quote-unquote found footage now, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, it, it feels so, like... The shame about this movie, why it sucks so hard, I think, is just because with the other movies and the dead movies, I'll say, like, I, I love uh, Night. Dawn's my favorite, I agree. Day of the Dead's very underappreciated. Land has its charms, even if it is um, a big studio silly movie. It has one of my favorite uh, kills in any movie, which is Dennis Hopper telling his henchmen, like, look over there, and he just shoots him in the head. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> about that. Amazing yeah. moment in that movie. But then, at least with all of those dead movies, it feels like he's talking about something that he actually knows. Maybe the satire is on the nose, maybe it doesn't feel, you know, quite that subtle, but it at least feels like he is talking about something he is fully aware of and wants to speak about in the form of these zombies. With this, it's literally old man yells at kids with their iPods and their phones and their Mm -hmm. cameras fucking all the time. It feels so much like the angry old man on the corner yelling at the kids, and it's (laughs) sad to watch quite yeah, frankly well that's that, that that's why i was wondering if maybe you didn't think he handed the reins over to somebody he thought might be a promising young director and say you know hey you fucking kids know found footage run with it you know i, I don't know if he really directed this it's it, it, it's shameful man it's really bad but can we talk about the cgi <laughs> Uh, I mean, well, I've seen fucking 16-bit video games that are better than this shit. Yeah. It's a sh- yeah. Like, some of yeah. the kills I like the idea of. Like, there's the guy who gets right. killed where, like, they um they bash the acid over his head and his brain melts. That's a cool idea. In practice, it's terrible. It looks so <laughs> poor. Or the um the paddles on Greg Nicotero. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, not not <laughs> oh, no. for God's sakes! Oh, ah, damn it! I'd forgotten about that, you asshole! <laughs> and, <laughs> and the eyes that like bulge out, and it's just—it's uh, like, for is fuck's it, sake! Is this a Tex Avery cartoon? Is that what we're doing? And that the horrible like—I <clears throat> I watched the special features when I used to own this movie. Now I don't own it anymore because and the special features, Greg Nicotero brought up how when you know people die, their gums and lips sort of rescind. And exposes their teeth more. So he came up, you know, God, you know, that's like a zombie's weapon. You know, it should show their teeth more. So he put those awful plastic pieces in their mouth that pushes their mouths up and exposes their teeth. And it, it literally just looks like they're wearing mouth guards. <laughs> <laughs> like their cheeks are all bulgy. It's obvious they got something in their mouth. And that's what you decide to go with. Like, yeah, fuck it. 
And like I said, George Romero is so old. Ah, well, sure. Yeah, just as long as it gets them damn kids. <laughs> like, At least the zombies had good dentistry, right? <laughs> they, they have a great dental plan. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, they all got a full set of chompers. Uh, but and- you, you go back to the makeup from, even the makeup in this one. Like, Land of the Dead, the makeup's good in it. Say what you will about the movie, but the makeup mm-hmm. effects are well done. Day of the Dead has some of the greatest zombie makeup effects of all time. Diary of the Dead, it's it's like people with grease paint on and shitty like Dracula noses and foreheads that you can buy at Kroger and just put on your head. Well, and it's, it's what what worked about especially those earlier movies was that even if you didn't have like a main zombie character like say Bub in Day of the Dead. There were at least mm-hmm. zombies that stuck out. There's zombies that have, like, sort of create a cult following. Like, Little Girl in the Night of the Living Dead, or, sure, like, the God. guy who gets the helicopter blade in Dawn of the Dead. Like, the Hare Krishna. Yeah. Right, of course. Yeah, there, there are zombies that are distinctive and stand out in interesting ways. There's none in here. They try and do with, like, the clown, especially, in that, like, footage where it's like, oh, look, here's the dad at the clown uh, fucking kids party, and oh, it's garbage. Right. Ironically, how, like, how many move- people ripped off Romero, and this feels like one of those bad ripoffs, but it's from the man himself. It's yeah. Yeah. tragic. And then the, cl- the clown's acting perfectly normal until the dad, like, grabs the nose or whatever, and then yep. all of a sudden it goes into zombie mode. <laughs> this movie is all those interstitial scenes that John Russo put in the 30th anniversary. That's this movie. Damn. Is that what it is? <laughs> Dude, their friend who's just the worst actor in the world, where he stresses the mummy and becomes the zombie. Oh, no. <laughs> we really wanted that one to kind of stick out, too. And we referenced Wes Craven earlier, who, by the way, along with Quentin Tarantino, Guillermo del Toro, Simon Pegg, and Stephen King, have vocal cameos. It's like the people you hear over radios and on tape yeah. TV and stuff like that, because obviously some of them are either friends or fans, especially in, like, del Toro and Simon Pegg's case and Tarantino, and they're just like, oh, of course I'll be in a Romero dead movie. How cringy, though, is the moment where they do the scream thing at the opening? after they shoot their lame movie, and they're like, why do girls walk around like this in zombie movies only so their tits can fall out? It's like, oh, George. George, oh, honey, no, oh. stop. Grandpa, you you can't be like the kids. It's This movie is that is the 30 Rock meme of Steve Buscemi, like, hello, fellow kids. I know what you're <laughs> yeah, talking about. It's scary. It's the opening to Scary Movie with Carmen Electra. <laughs> punch everybody who worked with George Romero at the time, like, you let this be one of his last movies. But, like, are you going to be the guy also, Adam, where, like, you're working on that set, you get this terrible script, and you're working with a legendary horror filmmaker. Are you going to be the guy to say, like, hey, George, this is shit. No one's going to say that. Speaking of George's, this is, like, George Lucas prequel syndrome all over. I am sure that there's, like, like all those the clips you see, documentaries, where everyone's like, yeah, George, this is great. Yeah, sure. Do it. Yeah. I, there is unseen documentary footage of just Romero being like, yeah, let's do this. Sure. Yeah, George. Great. <laughs> You're awesome, you dude. Let's let's keep doing this. Like, let's have Lance talk a bit more. Like, Lance, where do the disappointments really lie for you with this movie? What are some other things we might not have mentioned, especially as the big horror and Romero fan that you are? Quite frankly, I'm a huge hater. I hate to say it, but I'm a huge hater of found footage. If found footage is done right, I, I don't know. The Blair Witch Project came really, really close. I still have not seen a found footage movie that I believe ever. Because they're so produced, they're so slick, uh, they're so edited, like you guys were talking about adding the score in there and shit like that and editing things. And 
I, I wouldn't mind trying to, you know, checking out a found footage movie that actually looked like it was a camera that somebody filmed everything when they were running around and, like, got found by someone afterwards. I wouldn't mind that concept. I like the concept. It's never been done for me the right way before. Holy shit, man. When you when you look at a, somebody shooting a, a zombie and it, and it almost looks like it's part of a video game that's, like, three inches to the left of the face of where he shot it's too much man it's just too much it's like it got rushed through I, I i really in my heart feel like romero just said here kids you guys take over you guys know what that's found footage shit is i don't want to believe in my heart of hearts that he was responsible for this atrocity it was just so terrible and then when they go in and they meet all these fucking gangbangers or whatever they are that have this fucking warehouse with all this shit in it it's like i see what you're trying to do here you know, you're trying to say these guys are survivalists. They knew how to stick together. You know, they they were they were street smart. They were street tough, so they knew how to, you know, how to survive this thing and 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 set up this, uh, you know, all these all these goodies inside the warehouse and have these vans and shit like that. But it just all rang so untrue to me. It was like nothing in this thing for me was believable from the beginning to the end. And then they get to this uh, douchebag's fucking you know million dollar home that he's in and then he starts acting weird and it's like well why is he acting weird and he says oh well they're in the back and then they're in the fucking swimming pool and none of them are moving and then at the end they all come out of the swimming pool at the same I mean, it's just i don't know where to begin and i don't know where to end on talking about this, <laughs> what, this shit man what are you talking about that whole swimming pool scene is a great screensaver it looked like a fucking video toaster effect especially the first time i watched this i remember kind of feeling like we're following these film school annoying assholes, and we kind of stumble upon much more interesting ideas for movies as they keep bumping into people. Because, like, I would argue I'd rather see the movie about those guys. Uh, Martin Roach plays a stranger guy um, who is, like, leading these people who have essentially taken over this, like, very, you know, sort of derelict part of town, and they're sort of like, well, hey, we came in after they ignored us, so we kind of just hid under and we took over. Sounds like a way more interesting movie than following these fucking film school idiots. For me, the big one is uh, when they run into Samuel, the Amish guy. Yep. Which is the best scene in the movie. Yes, I agree. I would rather have watched a whole movie about Samuel, the deaf Amish guy, just using dynamite to kill zombies. That sounds like like, mm a great idea for a movie that we almost kind of got, I guess, with Survival of the Dead, which we won't talk much about. But Yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to go, too, when Lance said it's hard for him to believe that, you know, Romero did this by himself, and I was going to say, well... Watch his next movie. It's haven't, very easy haven't to believe. seen it, and I probably never will, guys. Oh, you are so lucky. I did rewatch it along with Diary. I'll I'll say this much: it is bad. It's definitely one of his worst films. But at least I can kind of get behind some of the ideas once again in Survival, like especially uh, Kenneth Walsh, uh, who plays like one of the main feuding guys who he are, like, steals the movie. Yeah, he, he's no, he's great, and I think that concept of just like two feuding families on an island during the zombie apocalypse is kind of an interesting idea. It's I yeah, mean, it's, it's basically the Hatfields and McCoys with zombies. Yeah, but it's like a, two Irish families like arguing with each other. It's not a good movie, but at least Ooh. there's more of a story I can get behind. Versus here, it's once again we're following just like the worst characters. We haven't talked about a protagonist that much. Right. Like they are all so <laughs> awful. Why should we? They're hateable. <laughs> Dude, yeah, all of them. There's not a single likable one in the bunch. 
or an interesting one in the bunch either. Yeah. I did recognize one of them in a way I didn't recognize the first time. Uh, the girl who has, like, the uh, Mary, who has the crucifix the whole time, is Tatiana mm-hmm. Maslani of okay. uh, Orphan Black fame. Multiple Emmy-nominated oh oh, Tatiana wow. Maslani. Clearly just kind of, like, trying to work with the very limited material she gets. Um, Interesting. Well, I recognize yeah. the other one, the one who played Tony, Sean Roberts. He's Wesker in the Resident Evil. Yes, movies. he is. And I almost okay. wish he just had the sunglasses and did his bad Wesker accent. <laughs> too. The only one who stood out was the old dude. And what the fuck was he doing there? Was he like a drama teacher or what? Yeah, yeah, he was their, one of their professors. Jesus Christ. They have the one-dimensional sort of traits that feel very reminiscent of Romero. Like it's, oh, this guy drinks all the time. And he's a British professor. It feels like he really wanted to get Malcolm McDowell, but he didn't couldn't afford oh, Malcolm no. McDowell. This Which is crazy because anybody could afford Malcolm oh, McDowell. Shit. That's true, yeah, that's the thing. But I, I really want to emphasize on Michelle Morgan as Deborah, who is our narrator, and Joshua Close as Jason. They are supposed to be the guys we see the movie through. She narrates all this footage, she's edited all together, she does so much narration, and Jason's the guy who's just like, well, we have to document this, we have to film it, and of course, they have to put it out on the internet, which is the big example where, like, Romero has no idea what the fuck he's talking about, because, spoilers, in a zombie apocalypse, the internet's not gonna last too much longer than the guys who are, like, engineering the internet. When you have to fucking troubleshoot your router when a goddamn storm happens, oh, the yeah. zombie apocalypse is gonna completely destroy any chance of the internet surviving. He's able to upload it to MySpace and get 72,000 hits in the zombie apocalypse. Holy shit. So all the zombies were watching it, huh? I mean, clearly, um, they're yeah. just watching cat videos and all this other stuff just like <laughs> you! <laughs> Zombie cats! <laughs> I mean, they're adorable. Zombie kittens. It's just They eat brains, but it still adorbs. The social commentary is obviously never subtle in his other movies, but here it's blatantly exposited and vomited to you throughout the narration. Just, uh, we realized what the world was coming to. At this point, just everybody was feasting off each other. We didn't know where the humans began and the zombies ended. It's... I wanted to vomit. <laughs> like, it's just... It, it's vomit-inducing garbage every time was, that she comes on to the narration. Huh? Oh, oh, yeah. It, it's literally just like, George, stop! <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> uh, oh, man. It's hard, because you really want to like this movie, and it's very hard to for me to separate it almost because mm-hmm. in my opinion, you got the original three. Mm-hmm. I consider it a first trilogy and then a second trilogy. I don't consider it six of them all together. That's the only way I can get through and still like the Romero's um, as a whole. I love the first three. I think these, these oh, yeah. three are just so bad. So, so bad. I mean, land is fun. Diary is atrocious, and Survival at least has one or two parts in it, but worse CGI and worse makeup effects. Because, like, I want to give a lot more credit to, we're not going to talk about it that much, but I think Land of the Dead mm-hmm. is definitely the underrated, sort of, most underrated of any of these, just because if nothing yeah, else, Land of, the, Land of the Dead actually at least develops the world more. I love the development of the world in the first four Romero zombie movies, because we go from the first night to like, at least several months, maybe a year or so into it, in dawn, then in day, it's several years, and then by land, it's been at least, like, a decade, maybe a generation, 
And that is such a fascinating thing to see. The main character of those four movies is really the world and how it's kind of gone to shit. But still, at the same time, how the zombies kind of develop, where they aren't, like, intelligent, but they at least have more of, like, a, you know, cognitive animalistic tone to them. I love the Big Daddy character in Land of the Dead. I think that's mm-hmm. that's a very cool, underrated, distinct zombie character for those movies. And then to reboot it so much, and then say, oh, this is the same quote-unquote knight, but not really because it's modern, and that was 68. It, if anything, just feels more of a slap in the face, just because like, you're going back to this universe and what are you doing with it? What are you saying that's different? It's just once again, yelling at these kids and their damn tech. Yeah, good way to put it. At least Land of the Dead had a pretty decent cast, too. I mean, there were some pretty talented mm-hmm. actors in that. And a better Simon Pig cameo with Edgar Wright at oh, the zombie carnival. Oh, I forgot about that. Yep. They actually played zombies, right? Yes, they did. And, Sh- and Sean Roberts is also in Land of the Dead. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, John Leguizamo. We mentioned Dennis yeah. Hopper, mm-hmm. a few other people. Um, but yeah, I think we're starting to run out of gas on Diary of the Dead. So let's get into final <laughs> thoughts. Uh, Lance, two. go ahead. Uh, you know what? I had never seen it before. I'll never see it again. Uh, I've got no real desire to see survival now, and uh, I'll stick with my original three, my OG three. Adam, there is no reason why this movie should exist. It does nothing for the genre. It does nothing for found footage. It does not did nothing for none of the actors in it. It didn't do anything for Romero. It's just a shit fest of a film, and I agree with Lance. I'll I'll stick with the first four because I do like Land. Yeah, to me, it it ended at Land. Yeah, I mean, I never talked about really the way I saw those original movies. Was I, I still remember I went over to my cousin's house for a week, and um, one of the nights I admitted like I had only seen like Creep Show. I hadn't really seen the Romero zombie movies, and they were huge fans. So we had like a night of watching Night, Dawn, Day land and then i remember after we finished land where they're just like oh man i wish there was another one and i had said like well i heard like they'd made another one and it was around the time of the video release and we went to a blockbuster kids back when those were a thing um and we're like oh my god it's here we can watch it and it that whole experience was kind of like the homer simpson with the pig shooting over of like it's still good it's still good the whole time we're just like no it's it's still alright. It's fine. <laughs> right. Th- that's th- the Samuel thing was cool, and just slowly, progressively realizing that it wasn't quite there. And then, of course, with this watch, this is the first time I've watched it, I think, since. Um, it wasn't there nearly at all. It was, uh, like I said, very few small moments that might be considered kind of interesting that are just, like I said, things we weave and bob between our mm-hmm. main characters, who are the worst. And they're not likable characters, they're not engaging characters. It just feels, like I said, like George A. Romero just wants to yell at the kids, and he thinks he's saying something smart, when really it just feels like a senile old man not knowing what he's talking about. And it's a shame to see a director go to that length to put all these people in the production through it for such a little, minimal, regrettable result. And uh, yeah, Diary of the Dead, like I said, if not for Bruiser, is maybe his worst film. Mm. And on that wow. exciting note, uh, that is the end of our discussion about zombie films. Before we go, we have a few bits of feedback to read. Uh, we asked you all what your favorite and least favorite zombie movies out there. Uh, James Rodriguez says, uh, Peter Jackson's Brain Dead is equally horrifying, hilarious, and stomach-churning, making for a horror masterpiece. 
2008's Day of the Dead remake, though, is a horrendous mess inflicted upon the poor public in garish CG fashion. Watch the new one, James. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I've heard horror stories. Oh. I've committed to watching that before the end of the year. Now, the thing is, though, that's the one with Jonathan Shake, right, Thomas? The, the one from that thing you do, yeah. <laughs> Where yeah, he plays a pervy zombie, yeah. Now, the Day of the Dead remake has Nick Cannon and Mina Savari in it, though. Did you see that one? I remember seeing it. I have seen it. I remember Where mostly... the zombies can crawl on the ceilings and stuff? Yeah, I remember mostly Ving Rhames and Army Outfit screaming things. Because I remember yeah, I was... pretty much. I was watching that because I'm like, oh, is this like following up the Dawn of the Dead remake Zack Snyder did? And it's like, no, I not really. I think that's what they were trying to trick you into thinking. Yep, exactly. And they succeeded oh. on 2008 Thomas. But at least, like we said, for all the faults of that movie, Rapey. yeah, it doesn't have Bub become a rapist. Yeah. Ouch. But Brain Dead's pretty great, right, guys? That's a good one. Yeah, I like Brain Dead. <laughs> Never seen it. Oh, what? Oh, come on, Lance. No, I really, uh, I've heard, I've heard about it. I've heard I good kick things. Ass for the Lord. You may remember it under the American title "Dead Alive." Oh, that's right. That sounds dead. a little more familiar. Yes, yeah. it's so great watching that movie and just seeing the origins of Peter Jackson's big budget career just spill mm-hmm. guts onto the screen. Um, it's that's definitely one of my favorites. Elliot T. Shot says, best Day of the Dead, the original, worst World War Z, which was almost our bad feature. Yeah, World War Z. Uh, it exists. Yeah, it, it totally exists. It's, it's completely a, forgettable. That's the yeah. thing. I mean, I saw it. I don't remember barely any of it. I mean, a classic example of read the book. It's a great yeah. book. Good awesome. book. Terrible uh, movie. And Day of the Dead is, I, I don't know if I've ever said it on, on the show before. I know I've said it somewhere, probably just in my own head. But uh, Day, Day of the Dead is my absolute favorite zombie movie. Mm-hmm. I love Day of the Dead. I, and it's re- probably mostly because of Rhodes, because he just kills me in that movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to know what you're doing with my time! <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, I just love Day of the Dead so much. It's so, I'm running this monkey farm! <laughs> and, and Bub is a great example of developing the zombies mm-hmm. in that universe. It's it's such a cool absolutely. idea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and maybe Tom Savini's tour de force is a makeup artist too. I I think so. I yeah, absolutely great think so. I don't think he's. I mean, he's done great work, but I think that's absolutely his best. Ebony Sierra Bell also adds, "I have no ranking. I just wanted to mention the film My Boyfriend's Back, which I do remember. My Boyfriend's Back." <laughs> I liked my boyfriend's back a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like, uh, a couple of years ago, I bought the Blu-ray when it came out because it was on, like a one-day sale on Amazon for four ninety-nine. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll buy it. It does not hold up <laughs> I, <laughs> at all. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but yeah, I figured mm-hmm. as much. Yeah, it does not hold up. It felt kind of like a higher-budget Disney Channel original movie. Is that accurate? Oh, yes, that, that's accurate. That's accurate. <laughs> any, any love or affection from my boyfriend's back, Lance? No, not really. It kind of reminded me a little bit of um, Weekend at Bernie's or something like that, you know? Yeah, it's just for sure. super cheesy. A bit of that, too. Well, um, we want to thank some people before we leave. We want to thank uh, Chris Oliver for the music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarda for the art we use on the show. She accepts commissions at Fiverr with two R's slash E.E. Scarda. And, of course, we want to thank Lance Langford, our guest for the evening. Lance, plug away. What do you got to plug? Ah, man, come on. You you know where to find us, dude. Hor- the Horror Returns. Uh, we're on 
uh, primarily Podbean, but iTunes and all that stuff as well. And well, what we're really excited about is if you'll come join our Facebook group. Uh, it's uh, go on to Facebook and do a search for the Horror Returns Group because that's where some of our really good conversations go. A lot of shit talking and a lot of fun on that page. So, uh, oh, and we do have a first episode that we posted today of a new western show we're doing. Bone Tomahawk oh, so. and High Noon, right? Yeah, those are the two we picked for our first one. Uh, we call it Saddle Up. We're going to probably try to run it about once a month. But, you know, there's lots of horror podcasts out there, but we didn't really see too many Western podcasts. So, you know, what the hell? Try to fill a, a void a little bit and have some fun doing it. So, you know, we're, we we uh, roll that out today. And it's uh, if you just subscribe to uh, The Horror Returns, you'll pick that up as well. Yep, uh, Bone Tomahawk, one of my favorite modern western slash horror films. Absolutely. And, of course, you can also follow us at DEDBpod on Twitter and the Facebook page. We're also, uh, you can email us at doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. We have our own individual accounts on Twitter. I'm at NotTheWho'sTommy and Adam. Malekithfan6969, I, I think it's still active, I don't know. It's, it's still there. He hasn't shut it, it down it yet. It does exist. Malekith hasn't, uh, Maybe, hasn't uh, come after me yet. Maybe maybe the kids that uh, help Romero direct this movie are following it now, huh? Maybe. I'll let them run it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You don't want that. <laughs> the world fell apart when we realized that Malekith wasn't a thing anymore. <laughs> we forgot where the Malekith send and the people begin. We want you to su- subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, rate and review us to give the show more visibility. It really helps out if you do that. Yeah, absolutely. Anything. Yes, I don't, I don't and- care. I'll set up a Snapchat. You can send me dong pics. I don't care. It's whatever you want to do. Well, and on that note, uh, we should say that Double Edge Double Bill is alive. 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 But now it's not, it's over. Good night. Goodbye.